<laughs> we are back once again, everyone. Thank you for joining us. You are listening to the Cancel for Maintenance podcast, where we talk about the non-glamorous life of aviation maintenance, pass on some laughs, some bits of wisdom, and all of it's to help you get that moment's relief in your day to prevent a mishap. Today, we're talking about aviation and drag racing with two guests, Chris Larson, co-founder and CEO of Larson Motorsports, and Josette Roach, development officer and Jed Dragster, driver of Larson Motorsports, who, along with their team of professionals, have merged the two worlds of aviation and drag racing into a cohesive, performance-developing, championship-winning team. Chris and Josette, thank you for coming on to the show. Welcome aboard. Thank you for having having us. So we were talking offline just before the show started, and I'll say again, like, I've always wondered as a kid what it would be like to put a jet engine into a race car. And I've seen many cartoons and comics where people do something to that effect. But actually talking with you two and seeing that this is actually happening, it it just makes all those kid dreams come back. (laughs) Well, it's, you know, it's interesting for, for us. I've, I've, I grew up in a motorsports family and my, my entire existence has been either motorsports or aerospace. I've stayed in the, I, I wasn't in the military. I stayed in the general aviation side of the industry. I did do a little bit of part 121 maintenance uh, as a contractor for a UPS, uh, you know, for a UPS air freight situation. But at the same time, my main job at that time was uh, for a 135 operator that was the UPS feeder um, with a bunch of uh, big, you know, piston twins, uh, large Cessna. You know, 402, 404s, a few pressurized airplanes, but mostly unpressurized freighters. And that's really where I cut my teeth in aviation. Um, in 1989, I moved to fl- from Michigan, where I did the air freight stuff, to Florida to go to work um, for Textron, for the Cessna Aircraft Company. At the time, it wasn't Textron, it was General Dynamics. But I got to spend a lot of time, 17 years actually, working on Cessna Citation business jets. And, um, about, I don't know, about halfway through part of the way through that, um, I, my wife, uh, who, um, uh, we were, we were married when we were in our early twenties and we moved to Florida to, to do all this stuff. Um, I wanted to go racing again and she was, it's interesting a little bit about her that she grew up as a polar opposite. I mean, she grew up as a Mennonite and she wore dresses and bonnets to school, you know? So I, really? her dad, her dad hated me with a passion. I drove, I met her in this bright yellow 32 Ford street rod with a small block Chevy and track roadster headers, and no fenders and all that. And that definitely didn't fit their lifestyle. But, uh, um, we moved to Florida and I wanted to go racing again. So, uh, non-serious, we built this little, uh, tube chassis, um super gas car and drag racing it's a it was a big block chevy powered fuel fuel injected alcohol burning car and you know i did know enough to that i didn't want her to be that wife you know reading a book at the track while the husband spent all of her all of our family's money and i didn't know what else to do besides have her drive and i didn't really even know she'd be good at it she turned out to be really good um and and um so that was the the rest of history. Right? I never got to get a hold of, get behind the steering wheel, but but um, the that car evolved into you know like like almost all race car drivers do. They wanted to go faster, and she wanted to go faster and faster. So um, we decided, you know, we see these jet cars at these big 
you know, the big shows at the, tra- uh, at the uh, every year at the track and they have these night of fire events and so on. They hire these jet cars to come in and put on a show. And so they had us, uh, you know, I said, I, th- I think I could build one of those things. They don't look that complicated to me. Little did I know there's a little bit more going on than I, than I realized at the time, but, but we built our very first jet car and we never had the idea of, you know, rotate the earth attitude. We weren't going to run things as hard as they could go. We just wanted a good old reliable jet car that, you know, go out and make laps at 270 miles an hour, which sounds fast, right? It's a, we, our idea was to run in the middle of the fast groups, fast group of cars. We never really even cared about being the fastest and it worked out really well. And, uh, that, situation grew um to a point where i ended up having to leave cessna 17 years later um to go jet racing full time and in that in that uh timeline um uh, the it became so attractive to us we thought, thought well man let's let's have a couple teams you know we'll add a team here and maybe pump this thing up a little bit and that's when we started adding drivers outside of my wife um and Josetta actually is a great example. She can tell you probably about how we met her. And um, actually, this is actually a good time to do that, I think. You know, yep. Josette, yep. you know, she, we met her at a race when we were out jet racing. Yep. So um, a little bit of my background. Um, so I've grown up in the drag racing industry um, and automotive. Um, so my dad has always built cars and painted cars and Um, my mom and my siblings, we all get to race the cars. Um, my dad has really no interest to actually race down the track, but he loves being crew chief. Um, so that worked out well for us. Um, so I kind of got a later start in drag racing at 16 years old, um, because in drag racing, you can actually start at five years old. Um, so I had to convince... Yeah, you can start at five years old and, and junior dragsters. Um, so I had to convince my parents that I really wanted to do it. So my brother's seven years older than me, um, and he got his first junior dragster when he was eight. Um, and when he aged out, I happened to be coming of the age to start junior dragsters. And my mom just assumed because I'm a girl that I wouldn't want to race. Little did she know I was going to you know, first grade telling everyone one day I'm going to be a race car driver. Um, so <laughs> it was just something I've always had in the back of my mind, just because I grew up in this world. Um, my parents were actually at a drag strip the day before I was born. Um, so I guess it's kind of in my blood. Um, but I wouldn't get my start until 16. It took many years of convincing to get one. Um, and from the moment I made my first pass down the track, I decided that, uh, that was, I was going to make many more, um, hopefully forever. Um, and I had to figure out how to fund that because I knew racing is kind of an expensive hobby to have. And so I went to school to try to become a doctor because doctors make a lot of money. And then along the way, I ended up at the Gator Nationals, um, which is where Chris and Elaine um, had all of their cars. Um, And one of the drivers actually introduced me to Elaine and they're in Florida and I'm from St. Augustine, um, which is only two hours north of their shop. Um, So I just started driving to the shop and making my face be known that they weren't going to get rid of me, that 
they would have to literally tell me never to come back. Um, and so they actually, two years after meeting them, they had a position open up and I went for it with everything I had. I picked up my whole life and moved to Palm Bay for a dream. And it's been working out pretty good. Um, when I got the job, they actually told me many, many times that this is not a driving position and it will not be a driving position. Um, but I basically read between the lines, even though they kept saying it wasn't going to be a driving position. And here we are almost four years later. And now I'm primary driver of the House of Color car. And this coming year is my second um, full season. In it. So I'd say it's going pretty well. Um, the fastest I've gone so far is 281 miles per hour and a quarter of a mile in 5.72 seconds. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. It's it a lot of fun. <laughs> right? It's uh, a lot of fun. Uh, you mentioned just that, uh, that you uh, always grew up with drag racing. Was it every type of drag racing? Because, I mean, no, there's like different types, right? There's uh, the funny cars, there's the, the top fuel, and then there's the stock ones. Uh, was, it, was it like a mix of both or all three, I mean? Or was it like um, a particular one? So for me, I'm definitely a dragster girl. So I started in the junior dragster class, which is for kids age 5 to 18. Um, and then once I aged out of that at 18 years old, uh, me and my dad actually built a Mustang um, together, and that was my street car, but it doubled as my race car. So I would drive my street car to the racetrack, race down the track, and drive it home, um, which was pretty cool. I did that for two years, and then I want, uh, like Chris said, you know, every race car driver wants to go faster. Um, so my dad got me a Super Comp Dragster, um, which. For perspective, in the eighth mile, I was going uh, 5.4 seconds, um, which is about 120 miles per hour. Um, so the jet cars are a lot faster and go double the distance in about the same amount of time. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I knew I wanted to go faster when I was doing the dragster, the super comp dragster. I just, you know, knew that money is how you get to go faster. And now... I am hooked on jet racing and that's all I want to do. That's awesome. Uh, a real quick question. So I know, you know, on turbines and stuff, sometimes it takes a minute to uh, get up on power. So almost like turbo lag, right? So do you, do you have to bring it up to a certain, I'm going to say like, uh, like a takeoff RPM and then you, you just release all brakes for lack of my knowledge on it. But, and then it just, you're gone like that or, or how does that how does that work when you're launching so for uh jet dragsters they are totally different than any other drag racing vehicle out there so we are actually sitting um in full power um before we even launch so we'll bring the car up um i, I believe mine's at 106 percent um, and I'll be sitting there waiting to light my afterburner and launch down the track um, as the, the Christmas tree that we have in drag racing as it comes down. Um, so I'm sitting there waiting and then I give it some fuel and light it and go. Um, so with other cars, you know, they're they're revved up a little bit, but they're not at, a, at full power when they launch those cars. Um, so it's definitely a totally different animal. Um, so when we turn the car on, I'll take, actually, I'm going to take you through a run. Okay. So we're sitting here. Um, 
In our car, our crew chief has just plugged in umbilical cords that have a battery pack in the back of our dually trucks. So our dually trucks um, pull us around the track and things like, or once we get off the track and pull us to the starting line um, because we're not able to drive our cars up to the starting line and back to our pit area. Um, so the dually trucks have this battery pack. They'll pull up next to us, plug the umbilical cores into our jet car, um, and then they'll give us a start switch. They'll tell us, you know, it's time to go ahead and start. Everything's good because we can't, we don't have rear view mirrors. We can't see what they're doing. Um, so there's a lot of communication between drivers and crew. Um, so then we'll start the car. Um, we're going to idle at 42%. Um, so we'll bring it up to 42%. They'll unplug everything and then they'll do a leak check. And then if everything's good, they'll start heading down the track. Um, so when we do this amazing fire show, um, I don't know if you guys have watched any videos of uh, jet cars, um, but we do these big fireballs. Um, we do those at idle at the 42%. Um, so how we do that is we'll give it fuel, we'll light it, and then we'll let go of the fuel. And we'll hold it, we'll hold the fuel down for probably four seconds. Um, and it just creates this just ginormous fire that's probably, you know, sometimes it's as long as the car is, so it, it could be 30 feet behind you. <laughs> um, so then once we do a couple of those and we get the crowd going, um, we'll go up to, for my car, it's 75%. Um, and then I'll do what's called burner pops. So I'm going to give it a splash of fuel, light it, and just keep doing that over and over again. Um, just a splash of fuel, light the splash. Um, and it is just these incredible just pop, 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 pop. Um, and you can kind of get creative with those. Um, a lot of jet racers will actually do like a music. Um, song. They'll come up with some song and they'll do the song. I haven't mastered that yet, but um, I'm getting there. Uh, so then once we do probably 10 of those, then we'll start approaching the starting line. So all of that, the burner pops and the big fire, we don't have to do any of that. That is just for show for the, the fans because that's what we are. We're, you know, the halftime show. Um, we're literally there just to get the people in the stands excited, happy, and just, it, it's just an incredible experience, especially when you're standing between two of them. There is just nothing like it. Um, so as we're approaching the starting line, um, this is when we'll flip our switches, make sure everything's on, um, and then we'll go up to 90% um, and approach the tree. So once we're uh, pre-staged, then we're going to go full power and we're going to lightly bump in. And then once we're staged, we're full power. So we're um, holding fuel, waiting for the first flash of yellow. Well, um, once we see the flash of yellow, we'll light our afterburner. Then we're heading down the track, heading down the track, heading down the track. We made it to the finish line. We turned the car off and now our parachutes have deployed and we are slowing down. So the number one rule in re jet racing is no brakes, no brakes, no brakes. The reason for that is because it's like a giant skateboard um, being blown down the track um, and it has no transmission or differential spinning the tires. If we were to hit our brakes, it'll flat spot them because they're so thin walled um, that will blow a hole in them and we will wreck. Um, so that's the number one rule in jet racing. Your parachutes are our sole. Um, that's what, what we solely rely on to stop. Um, so we have a primary parachute and a reserve parachute. 
sometimes we'll pull both shoots if it has a short shutdown um, because every track's a little different with their, their shutdown area. Um, oh, I also forgot to tell you the Gs. So when we're going down the track, it's about five Gs, um, but when we pull our parachute, it's an eight G transition. So stopping is more aggressive than going, but it is the best feeling in the world to know that you pulled your parachute and that your parachute did come out and now you're gonna stop. I mean, so. I mean that that's that's, that's pretty crazy. That's, like an AG stop. <laughs> so I was going to ask. He said no brakes, and I was like, well, I wonder if they have thrust reversers on them, but probably not for weight savings purposes. This um, is a question for Chris. Yeah, because those so, are so, those systems are heavy. Yeah, and and at the finish line, the cars are covering so much ground so fast that if you had a thrust reverser, even if it was quick, right, that it would be it would take too much time. The parachutes are super reliable and dependable. It's a really simple system. It's a great device to help, to, you know, as the primary method of deceleration. And there's a lot of things that we can do with the parachutes. Other jet racers have taught us over time. Um, you know, there's little tricks. You know, we'll take masking tape and tape the riser lines together so that the as the parachute deploys to slow the deployment a, li a little bit. And I'm talking just a few, like a, now I've, I've been doing this for um, over two decades, right? So now I can even see the, how the parachute deploys, the panels flap, flap a little bit. And, uh, but what you're doing is kind of controlling how, 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 how hard that parachute hits the driver and hits the car. You know, just little tricks like that, right? Just like in aviation, you know? And, and so um, it's uh, one of the things that really helped me is I, I'm an A&P mechanic, right? And so I, so I, the stuff that I learned in school, the stuff I learned working on airplanes, all that, all that technology, all of those standards and practices that I took out of aviation are exactly what we use in our race shop every single day. Now, we're, we're, we're unique in that our teams, you know, we build our own engines. Um, we, we have the equipment to overhaul the engines ourselves. We build our own afterburners. Um, in, in most anymore, we build our own chassis and for the cars and everything. So we're almost hundred percent self-contained. We have had other people, uh, other organizations that we, we were actually in a transition a few years back, uh, from one facility to another. So we outsource some of the chassis work, but, um, other than that, you know, the, the standards and practices of aviation are what we have implemented in our daily lives. And. It's interesting to me, you know, I remember working in Michigan up on the ramps in northern Michigan in the middle of winter, changing, doing engine changes and pushing prop seals back in. So some of those, you know, some of those big twins and my fingers are just freezing like crazy and just all the, all the stuff, you know, which was just, which certainly contributed to me wanting to move to Florida for sure. But it's, there's a lot of the stuff, you know, it's the premise of your show, right? The non-glamorous side of aviation. There's a, there's a lot of non-glamorous sides of the of the motorsports industry as well, and and so with us, Josette is learning those things. She's been with us enough now. I, I mean, I think my wife, you know, we're the truck drivers, right? My wife and I are truck drivers. Josette's got a DOT physical. She's driven uh, these trucks and trailers around the country, and it's it is very normal for us to drive. Um, you know, uh, for, you know, days away for a show that maybe we're going to make, um, two runs, you know, two five second runs down the track. And so the, the effort is massive, just like it is in aviation maintenance, you know, and, and you really, it's, it's 
to me, aviation was always a passion driven career. Um, I mean, it got me where I am today and I'm, and I'm really grateful. In fact, I always joke, I'm going to go back to Cessna, uh, for a couple more years because my retirement would change from like 4% to 6% or something in the retirement money. But, right. but, <laughs> but yeah, um, were you working out of Orlando there? Uh, yeah. Orlando citation service center. Yeah, I've been there several times. I never worked for Textron. I worked for other companies, but we would get calls from customers to go there to work on the jets at the MR at Orlando there. And I was like, why are we getting called to go to the OEM? I don't know. But anyways, it was a huge facility. That's what I remember. Yeah. And, it, uh, it, on the same ramp, that West ramp in Orlando at Orlando international, the, the building I first started in was at the opposite end of the ramp. And then I was by the time that new facility that you're talking about and, and, and you're right, it is just breathtakingly huge. We couldn't believe it. Our, the number of employees I want to say we had like 150 employees and two, two different shifts at the original building that I started at. Um, by the time I left uh, in 2006, we had eight different shifts. And I don't know how many employees there were, but it, it had to be pushing 400. And um, it was just a great experience. The people were great. One of the things I really enjoyed about working there was that we had the benefits of the big brand, right? That, you know, but, and every now and then I'd get back to the, to mother, you know, mothership, you know, and go to Wichita to do some training or something like that. But we had the benefits of the big brand of Cessna with, and we had the atmosphere of a, I guess, I mean, those are big numbers, right? 150, 300 employees, but it was just, it was really personal. You know, everybody knew everybody. We had a great group of people. I remember when I worked there, um, I, when I first started as a technician in 1989, I got on some really great crews and we were super competitive. Um, you know, we would, a, a bit, an airplane would come in for like a double engine change or a double hot section inspection. And we had these little teams of people and we would, okay, let's see if we can start at 7.30 in the morning and have this hot section out by noon. And we would even like sneak over to the other guys that, that were racing on the opposite engine. You know, we'd sneak over to the re re the air regulators on the wall and we'd turn down the regulators so their air tools wouldn't <laughs> run as fast. Yeah, it was just, stuff. you know, and when you have that level of morale and that level of, of, of just camaraderie, it's just so amazing. And that's one of the things I've been, I've been really lucky, right? In aviation to, um, to be part of some places like that. Even my very first job when I got my A&P license, it was for an air freight company, you know, and the airplanes, they were, you know, they were good airplanes and we did a good job maintaining them, but it was just like a lot of places. We were understaffed. We, you know, we, uh, we, we had very good luck because we had a great crew of people that knew how to keep those things flying. And, you know, we had like four people maintaining, I think it was 30 or 35 airplanes, something like that. And just, how hard we worked and we, it was just, we were pumped up all the time and we had, we had great pilots and air freight, man. If you want to learn about aviation, that'll teach you the ropes pretty quick um, because it's always bare bones and, and, and those airplanes aren't, you know, straight off the assembly line. You know, those were airplanes that had been run hard, you know, 400 series Cessnas with 20, 30,000 yeah. hours on them. Yeah. Right? I so, remember, I remember looking, working with a couple of the UPS guys out of uh, Louisville um, yeah, yeah. Those air airframes were 
were rode hard and then they were picked up by freight and rode even harder, you know, right, that, right. that's crazy. Yep. I got to ask yeah. you though. Well, I got to, first thing I got to say is you guys is uh, a break room in that center bay uh, upstairs there in Orlando. Yep. Pretty awesome. Yeah. You got that view of the whole airport right out the big windows there of whole walls yeah. of windows, right? Yeah. But you guys had ping pong tables, air hockey tables. You had a, I guess during the day crew times, there was like a, a cook up there even yep. making food for people, um, all sorts of stuff. And then next, uh, there was a, a guy I worked there with a couple of times. I was there, older gentleman. He'd been around. It must have been around since Cessna was created. His name was Bruce. Bruce something. I don't know if you were. Bruce West. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah guy. Bruce West. Oh yeah. God. He was on my crew. He's probably still. I don't know. I, I haven't been over there in a long time, but I, but Bruce was a great guy, man. And he he just he came out of Wichita, right? So yep. all those airplanes that we were working on, he was he was there when I think he worked in the delivery center. And you talk about a wealth of knowledge, just super yes. cool guy, laid back, nothing bothered him. You know, that thing could have two wings on fire and have an engine just pouring ink and all out the back of it. He's like, Oh, we'll get it, we'll get it, you know? And um yeah. Yeah, well, he what was, was interesting, the first time I worked with him, he was very much that way. The second time, he was still that way, but he was a little more disgruntled. I think something happened within Textron or, or when, I don't know, something happened, but he was a little bit more disgruntled. I, I wonder if he's retired by now, though. He, I would, I, hope I would so. think by now he would have to be retired. If he's not, he's right there on the edge. I got to think by now he's got to be retired. But, you know, it, it is interesting. That's a good point. You know, these companies, these big enormous uh industry giants come in and they keep buying up all these other brands and and you know textron um great company by the way but it was it when textron bought cessna the entire it everything changed overnight and it was really quick right the yeah and you know when i first started general dynamics uh owned the company um and and the it wasn't a difference in morale but it was definitely a difference in the way things were done every day and you know in these companies you know they were in an acquisition um you have to be adaptable and, and you have to uh be receptive to the like the new way of doing things whatever that is josette in fact the the company that elaine that josette is driving jet dragsters for she mentioned she's driving the house of colors jet dragster that's a Sherwin-Williams brand. We originally started with that organization back in the early 2000s um, with Matrix Automotive Refinishes. And we've been through three acquisitions, which is, you know, especially for a race team, right? You're, you're, um, you're always, the, these sponsors, that's what really feeds the team. I mean, we make a little bit of money at the track, um, maybe just enough. To, to, if you're lucky to cover the expenses uh, and even then it's it's never that you know because you always have a surprise right that's just the way life is but um so we've been through three acquisitions and you never know right racing you get the wrong president the wrong ceo in there uh what the heck is this jet car thing i just don't get it we sell paint right and and and, and yep. one of our other brands is uh florida institute of technology you know we've been with them since 2014 we have this incredible relationship that i want josette to tell you about in a minute but we have this great relationship where we're helping develop the next generation of i guess you know probably aerospace but not just aerospace but 
skilled trades type of professionals and helping yeah. blend the helping blend. Um, we work with a lot of engineering students. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is um, help merge the bridge, the gap, I guess, is the way I would put it, bridge the gap between engineers and technicians and let the engineers kind of effectively be able to be comfortable to walk out on a shop floor, to be able to speak to technicians. You know, uh, we've all seen these things, right? Especially in the airplanes, you know, something's designed, you know, uh, you can't get to it just right. You have to leave a nut off the back of the hydraulic pump type of deal. So the next guy can get it on and off easier for an inspection, those types of things, you know, and, and so that's, that's what we do, and um, yeah, we've had a great that's, relationship. That's good you do that. I've seen that more in the industry, strictly on the aviation side. Uh, it, before, it was kind of this defined line that we're engineers, and we sit up in, this, up in these offices and these cubes, and we draw things using math in our, in our gonculators, you know, and you're, <laughs> you're to execute as the technician. But now what you're seeing is I think you're seeing a lot of these people moving up into director of maintenance positions who all started like us as maintainers on the floor. And they're going, no, no, no. What you're going to do is we're going to assign a maintainer or a tech to an engineer or vice versa. And we're going to, we're going to blend the blur those lines a little bit. You know, you're going to come out and see why the techs are telling you that's not a good design or that's a bad thing. And then on the other side, for the technician or the maintainer or whatever you go why are we doing this this is stupid well you can sit there and they can show you the cad drawings and and the background as to why and how and kind of it kind of makes it a little bit um a little bit better more cohesive yep yep i think you know for us we work with siemens digital industries a lot and we have amazing software that you know is absolutely state-of-the-art uh stuff that we uh, use with the students in our shop every single day. But one of the things that we had to go through, Larson Motorsports just recently went, went through, I guess, what I would call a digital transformation. And now at this point, we have the ability to do this, this new buzzword to keep buzzing around digital twin, right? And then there's a million different interpretations of what that is. But for us, we have the ability to design things completely in a computer before we cut the first piece of metal. And I, now I'm an old school guy. I'm 55 years old. I, I grew up, you know, doing it the way granddad used to do it type of guy, you know? And so I was pretty skeptical about this. I'm thinking, well, we're, you know, this might work for a big company and it, it does work for big companies, the, you know, General Motors and Ford and Cessna and you know, all the, you know, Boeing, all these other big brands, Northrop Grumman, of course, that's the way they're going to do it. But when you have a super small company like ours, does it make sense to do that? You know, this does this digital manufacturing make sense? And one of, and, and it took me a while, probably the person that had to get the most on board was me. And that was even when we were getting the software donated. And some of this stuff is really expensive. But what the, the real big surprise for me was once we got up to speed, the efficiency of modeling things and the accuracy was uh, unbelievable, far more accurate than I uh, had ever suspected. But now my whole view is changing. And I think that if you're a small to medium-sized business and you're a vendor of the Boeings or the Cessnas or the Northrop Grumman's or something, 
if you're a small to medium-sized business, I can easily see where without having this type of technology, you're not going to be able to fit into their business model like you used to. And so it really does change things. And, and we've been really fortunate to have some amazing mentors. Uh, you know, where we're based is on Florida Space Coast. You can watch rockets, you know, taking off and la- taking off and, and, la- and landing. Yeah, I guess you can say that nowadays uh, at, at Cape Canaveral right from our parking lot. I mean, we're, not, we're quite a ways away, but we, if there's a rocket launch, we go outside and watch it. And so for that, the technology that we're surrounded by and this kind of this technology corridor that we're embedded in, this has been a huge advantage for those student interns that work, at, work for us from Florida Tech because it really aligns them to, to be more job ready. And probably what you were just saying is probably the thing I'm the most proud of. The students that work with us, they have grease under their fingernails. They are the ones that we, you know, Actually, Josette, this this you know next Monday we have our newest group of students coming in, and she's their primary person that they communicate with. And so, one of the things that we are especially cautious about is that we want to make sure to give them lots of nuts and bolts time too. And, and actually, Josette, you should you should comment on that because this is a new role for you as well. Yep. Um, so this year, I'm taking on a larger um, role with the interns. Um, so we're hoping to give them, you know, all the experience because um, a lot of these students um, with this digital transformation that we've just had recently, um, they completely made a digital twin of our new gen- Generation Six car, um, and then they, you know did analysis and all kinds of things that are way over my head because I'm, I'm not in the engineering either. Um, that, so they, they found how they could optimize our um, design. And now we have the Gen 6 hybrid that they also created in the software, the Siemens software. Um, and now they're getting to actually um, start building what they designed in that software. So these students are getting to you know, follow their designs every step of the way. Um, and it's, they're going to have challenges, you know, they, they're going to see how, what they designed, how hard it is to actually create. And, you know, that's going to make them a better engineer in the future. Um, and one of the things they had to keep in mind when they were creating, um, the design changes to our new car was the tools that we actually have back in our fabrication bay. Um, so, there was some very creative designs that they had um, in their first, you know, iterations. Um, and we, you know, said, well, do we have the equipment to make that in-house? And sometimes it was no. And sometimes it was yes. Um, or what would happen is, is it was either not cost effective or it was going to be too heavy on the car and, and drag racing you know, weight is everything, you know, we, we want to have the lightest possible car. So making those changes too heavy, uh, that can't happen because that's going to obviously hurt the performance. So it's going to be really fun to watch um, these students bring to life right out of their computer, um, the real um, project. And so we do everything besides paint and house. So the our students learn welding, um, they learn um, to, how to 
assemble our engines and all kinds of fun stuff. So um, we actually, it's not uncommon for our students to end up wanting to be um, on the team and uh, learn how to be crew chiefs and things like that. Um, obviously, they have to work their way up. Um, one of our other drivers, Zach Costello, actually was a Florida Tech student. Um, and when he graduated, he told Chris and Elaine he wanted to be a crew member um, and worked his way into a crew chief position. And now he's worked his way into a driver's position. Um, so he is, oh, and he's also an engineer at L3 Harris um, as well. So, you oh, know, yeah. he and, and he's mentoring these students to show them, you know, you can be, you know, a welder and a fabricator and an engineer and still be able to, you know, mesh all of this stuff and show how it can all cohesively work together. So he's the perfect example um, of that. Um, and he's actually one of our, our best success uh, cases. Um, we also have past interns that work at SpaceX, that work at uh, Blue Origin, ULA, um, Boeing. Uh, so, I mean, we have tons of students all over in aerospace, as well as we have um, a few that have gone into other professional um, motorsports teams. Um, and then we actually have one that um, is in a submarine company. So he's building submarines. So a lot of our students end up, you know, going off and, and either using that hands-on skill set that they learned with us or are really applying and using that for, you know, thought processes while they're creating whatever they're creating. That is awesome. That is freaking you awesome. You guys have like a, the world's best shop class, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, getting in there about working to say. on like a, a grip of everything. Um, you'd mentioned, I heard you talk about, you say, Oh, it's too heavy for the, you know, they design the stuff, but it might be too heavy for the car or whatever else. So, you know, I guess I, I know I'm sure you're governed by restrictions from whatever the, uh, you know, drag association is for the jet cars, but you know, are, what are your frames made of? And then kind of, do you guys do structural testing to determine that, you know, if the frame or the components can take that kind of G forces, all that kind of stuff. Do you guys teach your students NDI and, uh, structural testing? We do. So the frame, every, a hundred percent of the car is built to aerospace standards and practices. The frames are made out of normal normalized 4130 chromoly steel. Now that's a, that's a specification that's mandated to us by the sanctioning bodies. But even if it wasn't, we would still use that material because it's a superior material for the type of vehicles that we have. But if you go to like the AC 4313 and look at weld clusters or how to, uh, um, you know, gas port tubes or, you know, linseed oil inside the tubes, all that type of thing. Those are exactly the same things that we do with our chassis, the bodies, all the bend radiuses, all the hardware. We had a, a, an unbelievable donation of hardware from Northrop Grumman. They gave us, uh, the number was 48,000 pounds of hardware. It took three semi-trucks to bring it in. And, um, uh, so that was a huge advantage. So we have the, you know, the cars that we have, we're using, um, you know, air, all aerospace hardware, NAS close tolerance, uh, fasteners in the steering and, and I mean, you name it. I mean, the, the, the ground effects package on this brand new car that's going together right now, it's a bunch, you know, it's all cherry riveted together where we, where we have to use blind rivets. Um, and, uh, j just, 
it's just really a great way to teach the students how to use um, how to how to use aerospace materials as well. And then you mentioned NDI stuff, and and so we have NDI in house, um, and uh, it's 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 basic, right? It's Magnaflux, it's dye penetrant. Um, we do use uh, um, ultrasonic. You know, the, the sanctioning bodies come in when they certify our cars uh, every two years they come in with ultrasonic testers and mostly just verifying that we use the right thickness tubing, that type of thing and the right material. But we definitely keep the students involved because the things that they're doing, they're going to leave us, right. And they're going to go straight into industry and in, in many, many cases use the exact same equipment on the exact same, same types of materials. The other thing that's really a big advantage for us is that, you know, we're surrounded by aerospace here, here in the technology corridor on Florida Space Coast. But one of our one of the great partners that we have, Northrop Grumman, a lot of times the, the projects that they work on there are black programs that can't, you know, and, you know when, you, when you start working there, you get a security clearance right off the bat. Right. And so um, they a lot of times can't tell us exactly what it is that they're working on. But the, the administration that we work with at Northrop can come in and say, well, we want you to you know, do this type of design work. or We want you to work on your cockpit design of your jet car, and we want to use human factors, human-centered design. We want to have a uh, uh, totally digital design that's gender-specific, um, you know, that, that type of deal. And maybe it's for a product that they're building that they don't want to really talk about, but we can train the students using the exact same um, program, software programs and the same uh, experiences that they'll have to do once they get that job, if that makes any sense. The other thing that's kind of crazy about what we do, and a business person would probably tell us to stick a for sale sign in the front lawn you know, tomorrow, as crazy as this is. Imagine yourself with a workforce where that about 80% of that workforce are, are, are employees that you are absolutely positively 100% going to lose because they're student interns and they're going to move on to whatever their career is. About 80% of our workforce is exactly that. They're interns from the university. And so that sounds good to some people because, okay, wow, sounds great. Cheap labor, right? But it's not. These kids are coming in i've never had one yet that walked through the door it says oh man this is cool i built 10 jet jet cars when i was growing up you know and so there's this learning curve that you have to go through that um with with every student every one of them that comes to the door fully knowing that possibly a, that at the end of that semester roughly 15 weeks later they prop they could it's very probable they're going to leave you and keep keep on with go on with life right and I don't want you to think that anything that we do is reckless. It's not. We have an extremely good program. Uh, Josette is managing a big part of that right now. But we have a really good program. We've learned how to do this. We've done it for a couple of decades. And what they do is the it, what they do is completely real. Every nut and bolt that they tighten is going to do its very first job over 250 miles an hour. So it's a very serious atmosphere, but just like I was talking about back at Cessna, how fun it was, we have a super, super fun atmosphere, and we manage that very carefully, um, and it's just a, it's a great experience. Um, actually, Joe Zett works, when you walk into our shop, 
her desk is right up front. She's one of the very first people you see when you walk in our shop. And she'll tell you about the experience because, Josette, we're open to the public. Yep. Yep. So we're open to the public Monday through Friday, nine to five, unless we've gone racing. Um, so um, our tours are free. All you have to do is go on our website, lmsjets.com. Um, and click on the schedule a tour link. It'll take you to the contact us page and just let us know when you're in the area, when you have time and things like that. We'll see if it meshes up well with our schedule. And if it doesn't, we'll give you some days and times that are good for our schedule. Um, just because, you know, we want to make sure that we have someone to take you through our shop so we can explain things and have, the interns show you what they're working on. Um, so, you know, you can definitely freely roam around um, and do a, um, a self-guided tour, but we like to take you and make it personal and show you the little nitty gritty things that you might not see unless we, you know, open a drawer or something for you. Um, so it's a lot of fun. Usually you'll want to um, set aside about an hour. If Chris Larson's giving your tour about three hours. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> it just depends on who you get for your tour. Chris's is a very, very in-depth tour. Um, so he'll show you every nut and bolt in the entire shop and tell you the story and history behind um, that nut and bolt, um, which is really awesome um, because, you know, the, everything in our shop has a history. Um, and two, actually two of the, the jet cars that we have in our shop are original um, jet dragsters from the the 60s and 70s. Um, so, you know, we have two pieces of jet racing history right in our shop. So, I mean, it, we, we could all talk to you for hours about these two cars. So we have the Green Mamba and then Les Shockley's original um, Shockwave jet dragster. Um, so those two cars are famous um, in the, the jet racing world. Um, so, you know, it's, it's pretty incredible all the things that we have at our shop. Um, and, you know, it, it's a living and breathing shop. So every, you know, few months, if you come and tour, you're going to see different things. One of the most recent changes we've had in the last uh, three, three months is we have two robotic arms in our shop now. Um, so we're going to be doing some research and testing and um, things with those. Um, so we've set them up and now uh, we're learning more about them and then we're going to start um, training people on how to use them. Um, so yeah, we're super excited about those as well as getting to use them for all kinds of fun projects that we have. That That's is pretty cool. Awesome. So speaking of the training, just that, how do you train to drive, right? Do you have a simulator you use? You just get out there and go, go for broke. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like how, what does your Bell training entail? <laughs> yep. So when, when we start the training process, um, Larson Motorsports, actually, we have an in-house um, training um, for our crew chiefs and for our drivers. So our crew chiefs and drivers will both go through a class um, where we'll all have to take tests and things like that. So we'll learn about the cars inside and out, as well as we'll go through the NHRA, so the National Hot Rod Association. We'll go through their um, jet dragster uh, or the jet category portion of the the rule book um so we'll talk about every rule line by line and why it's in there um because unlike 
Formula One and Top Fuel and Funny Cars and things like that. Um, our rules are written in blood, whereas theirs are written to make sure that their cars are all the same um, so that they're not doing anything too crazy. Whereas with us, we can kind of get creative with our designs. So you can, it's not unusual to see two jet dragsters that might, you know, be different lengths or things like that, just because we can be creative. Um, but our rules are written in blood um, because something happened to someone along the lines. So, you know, we have to make sure that we're meeting those rules. Um, so once we're done in the classroom por portion, which is done with Chris Larson, um, then we head out into the shop where their cars are and we go and hang out with Elaine Larson. So Elaine has been racing, like Chris said, she's been racing these cars for 20 years. Um, so she could probably drive down the track blindfolded and with a hand behind her back um, and perfectly be able to do everything flawlessly just because she knows every sound and every smell and every feeling that jet cars make because she's made so many passes um, down the track. Um, so our training starts with her and we'll just sit in the car and she'll talk us through all of the buttons and switches and things like that before we ever even start the car. Um, so it's a lot of hand feet coordination. Um, well, it's and essentially like just giving him a cockpit of a of an actual aircraft, you know. Yeah. All the button yep. switches, got it. You got to You got It's all got to be working and memorized. Yep. <laughs> yep. And everything is sequential, so you have to do it in a very specific sequence. Otherwise, things aren't going to work the way they're supposed to. Um, and for me, it actually handicapped me my past experience um, because I had to retrain my brain on what my hands and feet should be doing because my other cars are totally different um, when it comes to what my hands and feet are doing. Um, and really the only way the past experience helped me was knowing where I was on the track. So I always knew, you know, that I'm at the eighth mile. I always knew if I'm at the, you know, the thousand foot just because I've seen it so many times. Um, but retraining my brain was um, a bit of a, a task and you know because buttons for my my other dragster you know I might let go of that button where in the jet dragster you have to hold it down because you know you need to get fuel to the car um, and our feet actually are both brakes so our left foot is our rear brake and our um, right foot is our front brakes um, and so that was different too, because, you know, it has two brake pedals instead of one. Um, so, and there's no, you know, a uh, gas pedal down there, you know, it's a, it's a throttle in your hand. So it was just so different. Um, but once I, I figured it out, you know, and hit the button, then we're good to go. So definitely everything is progressional as well. So the first time you go to the track, you're not going to just go a quarter mile and afterburner. Um, so what, with Elaine, once we have kind of figured out some of the sequencing and things like that, um, she'll, we'll just start rolling them out into the parking lot and just starting the cars um, and doing just the fire um, and the burner pops, kind of trying to learn that sequencing and getting that down. Um, we have to complete everything at least four times before we can move on to the next step. 
Um, so once we can start them up in the parking lot, then we'll go to the racetrack. Um, and then we just slowly make our way down the track. Um, so we'll start out with no afterburner, just going down the track. Um, and it's, uh, I, I want to say that the, the without afterburner, I, I feel like the eighth mile, uh, we were going like what, 150, Chris, I think in the eighth mile, 150. <laughs> Probably, yeah. I don't. I don't recall. It, it's yeah. I don't I recall. The quarter mile usually ends up being about 170. You know, 160, yeah. 170 miles an hour. So yep. So that's, that's amazing. It's still a lot. And that's no afterburner. No afterburner. Only. Yep. I mean, not to cut you short, but I mean, just shy of taking off, like physically taking off, you basically have the same uh, ground school training as a pilot would. I mean, it's, I mean, just uh, some of the stuff you mentioned already, like we have to go to a familiarization course. We have to actually sit in the cockpit, flip switches well, without turning everything on. Uh, you're turning everything on. You're rolling down the drag strip. I mean, uh, student pilots will like, we'll just roll down the runway and just do silly circles in, on the on the flight path or on the ramp and stuff like that. So, I mean, again, just like just shy of you guys physically going airborne, which uh, I'll roll into that question next is... um. You're basically pilots at this point. <laughs> um, it, it is true. You know, one of the, so my role at Cessna, I started as a technician, went into quality control. And I was always that guy when we got a new employee, I would take him and show him this is where, this is when you take your breaks. This is the break room. This is your, your locker, that type of thing. And they can tell I really liked the training component of what we were doing. I really enjoyed that. So they eventually made me the training manager. And I would do, I would, if I couldn't do the training myself, I would coordinate it with whoever it was, you know, the, the engine manufacturer, whatever, you know, whatever that was. I really enjoyed the training. So when we went to the jet car deal, a lot of that stuff that they taught me in my previous life uh, crossed into, um, crossed into this, you know, and, and so we have a fully developed curriculum with a syllabus. Uh, Joe, that's exactly right. We walk you through the, we walk you through the rule book and explain where, ev why, why these rules, rules exist and where they come from. And then everything that we do is perfection by repetition. It's exactly like the pilot. One thing that I think is important to, to know, uh, and I don't want to sidetrack the conversation here, but you, when you think about the skill set of a jet car driver, our jet cars weigh about what a Cessna 150 weighs when it's, when it's it, it, you know, fully loaded. Wow. Um, a Cessna 150 is, uh, is 100 horsepower, um, and I'm not sure what the power-to-weight ratio is, but when you take a jet engine off an F5 fighter and you put it in a car, in a vehicle that weighs the, you know, the weight of a Cessna 150, so on the engine only with no afterburner, a General Electric J85 was making around 3,000 pounds of thrust. In a vehicle that weighs, you know, 1,500 pounds at, at maximum gross weight. And Josette talked about that smoke and fire show that, that, that they do as the car's warming up. It's primarily for entertainment for the fans and so on. They burn off about half the fuel that they're going to use on the run during that. So you've probably already lost 100 pounds in fuel. The drivers, you know, if you look at Josette and Elaine and, and you know, they're, they're, they're light people. And the cars are just lightweight. Imagine holding back a Cessna 150 on the starting line, making 3,000 pounds of thrust. So two to one power to weight ratio. That's before you light the afterburner. And so it does take a really special skill set for them. And that, there's, a, there's a huge learning curve there, right? Their feet are bouncing around in the, 
in the what we call the foot box of the driver's compartment, perfectly manipulating both of those brake pedals. And, you know, they have a hand throttle. Once you light the afterburner, nothing, nothing's going to hold it back. That's an instantaneous, about 60% additional power. And so, you know, our, the cars are making well over 4,000 pounds of thrust, and it's a, and it's a really it's a really neat experience, but it's a, it's a huge learning curve because there's no other vehicle like that, right? Because if you think even a top fuel dragster, the quickest and fastest accelerating vehicles, man vehicles that there are today, today at least, um, you know, the top fuel dragster, uh, when it approaches the starting line, it's at an idle as well, right? Until they want to leave the starting line and stomp on the throttle and let that clutch start locking up. Um, it's a, the, the jet car is just a much less manageable car is to stage on that starting line. I think what Chris is trying to say is that jet car drivers can't skip leg day. <laughs> it's more or less. <laughs> Must have massive quads and calves. <laughs> yeah, we, ha- we, we, when we're holding those brakes down, we're really holding those brakes down, especially when we're um, in full power. Uh, there's a clear difference um, when you're, applying the brakes from 90% to 100% is just a drastic difference. And you can really tell when you go from 90 to 100, if you're, if you have enough pressure on the brakes or not, um, because, you know, you're going to be like, whoops, we're going a little bit, we're scooting. <laughs> so what braking yeah. system are you guys using then to hold back that kind of power? The, we, we have four wheel disc brakes there. It's, it's a, it's a solid, well, it's not a vented rotor. It has lightning holes in it, but it's a it's a steel rotor. In the back, we use two four-piston calipers. So uh, um, our configuration with the uh, well, in the back, we use two four four-piston calipers. One on the front side of the same rotor as the as the same as other calipers on the back of this of one a single rotor. In the front, it's a it's a steel rotor with a single piston floating caliper. Um, probably about the size that you would find like on a Piper Cherokee or a Cessna 172, that type of thing. Oh my um, God, that's way smaller than I was. Super thinking. small. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and you know, the thing, Joe, that's exactly right. That, that no brakes, no brakes, no brakes. The number one rule of jet racing, the cars are so light and, the, and, uh, you know, the center of gravity is so far aft. If they did hit the brakes, the car would swap ends on. It'd be like a tail drag or ground looping, you know, yeah. um, because the, yep. CG, the CG is so far aft. So we use the parachutes to do, you know, I guess it really is, we say, all the work, you know. I mean, at the end of the track, I've never driven one, but Josette can tell you, you know, I mean, it, there's a point where you start feeling those brake pedals. And one of the reasons we have two pedals, one for the front, one for the rear, <laughs> is the front tires that we use are a standard top fuel dragster tire. And and, to, and I've never seen any other dragsters with brakes on the front except for jet cars. Um, so the only time we use the front brakes is more staging the car on the starting line. When we get to the end of the track uh, and they want to turn off the track or start, you know, the parachute done all, you know, done its job, they can just start feeling those rear brakes. And the rear tire that we use is actually a, a super speedway tire like, you know, from NASCAR. Um, and so, um, you know, since there's no transmission or no differential, there's no need for a, for a uh, wrinkle wall slick, a t- traditional drag racing tire. So we like those rigid sidewalls. And there's a lot of stuff that we do. We put the smallest tires we can and still have the car stick on the starting line when they're staging the car. 
Wow. That's amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm just running through that right now. Like, as Joe said, and you were talking about it, I was like, okay, so like, I'm holding on for dear life. Like, cause I'm at a hundred percent already. Uh, whereas like a, a dragster, like they're waiting to stomp their foot on the pedal. Like yours, you're like, you're stomping on waiting to let go of the pedal. <laughs> and, exactly. And, uh, and then just hoping like it doesn't go airborne on you. I mean, yeah. Uh, so, well, I'm so sure what, you'll remember even from like doing your powered runs on a citation, think of a citation 10, right? Yep. And you're sitting there and you're in chocks or whatever, but you still, if you go up on power on that, you can feel it pushing those chocks. I mean, you are lean back in the seat with your legs pressing those brakes as hard as you can. And those are much larger brakes. Now I'm picturing a 150 with that, uh, a vehicle that weighs like a Cessna 150 that with that kind of power and the small brakes of a Cherokee. Sure. <laughs> I mean, so Citation 10, you have four four of those big brakes assemblies you have the and and you have four tires on the ground plus the nose right but four main tires but the yep. big advantage that you have is just weight right so right that's that's the trick and now you mentioned how do you keep the car from flying and and, and it's really it's fairly simple we tip the engine to down one and one to one and a half degrees so under power the car is driving itself into the track but um oh Every interesting. So, yep, you tip the engine down one degree. So, so, um, in, you're driving into the track under power. Josette can probably tell you about a couple, you know, times because I, I think every jet car's been there. You know, crosswinds are a, a huge enemy of ours. The cars are so light and there's so much surface area on the sides of the cars. And there's been a number of different, you know, things that people have done over time to, to help try and overcome some of the adverse yaw type situations and so on, so on. But, um, uh, downforce is a huge thing for us, but you get to the finish line and you shut the engine off. And even though the engine is, you know, it doesn't come to a quick stop, right? It's still windmilling down like all jets do. You, you go from full throttle to cutoff all in one move. And in that same move, the primary parachute comes out. And so, now you're, we call it driving into the parachute, but you have a car that is, that's accelerating at the maximum acceleration that it has the entire time down the racetrack at the finish line, where other cars, if they're correctly designed, they kind of flatlined, right? Like a top fuel dragster, or a pro stock car, like Josette super comp dragster. It's done its job. It's made it's just made it the distance it has going down the track. It kind of noses over. And, it, and it's done its thing. A jet car, it just gets a big gulp of air and says, man, you want to fly? Let's go. Keep, keep feeding me this fuel. And so it is really, really accelerating at that point. And Josette, have you ever had any situation? I already know you have, but, but tell them about a situation where things don't go exactly right. When there's a crosswind or when there's a delay in the parachute, what's, what do you got there? Yep. So if there's a delay in your primary parachute, pull your reserve. Um, if, if something else doesn't feel right, pull your reserve. Um, you have that second shoot for in case anything happens. Um, also, so the racing surfaces themselves can have little characteristics about them. Um, so sometimes when you pull your parachute, you might have a little baby, uh, wheel stand, um, where your front wheels will come off a little bit. Um, come off the ground a little bit um so you know you you actually don't it's happening so fast you don't really realize 
that you're doing it until we watch our footage. So we put on car cameras, um, all kinds of directions and watch our hands and stuff like that while we're going down the track. So when we play back the footage and sometimes you're like, wow, something, you know, didn't feel right when I, you know, turned the car off. And then we watched the, the footage. And it was like, yeah, you did. You did a little wheelie there at the end of the, the track, but it, it's happening so fast that, you know, you recover very quickly. Um, and, uh, it, you know, if it didn't feel right, you got you used to always have that reserve to, to pull the, you know, the second shoot. Um, and usually the second shoot, you're, you're really slowing down when you pull that one. Um, I've also had a crosswind where it actually grabbed my parachute and put it over the wall. Um, and no. oh my, my crew chief came over and said, uh, Josette, you need to go more towards the center. Your shoot is on the wall. And I came back over, um, and said, uh, can you repeat that? Did I, did you say the shoot is over the wall? Um, oh. So that one wasn't bad because I had already slowed down so much that, um, you know, the wind just kind of blew it just gently over. And so it just dragged it off of it. But yeah. I mean, so you did. You just, I got to tell you, the pucker factor with that is yeah. so real that if I were you, when I went to get out of the car, the seat's coming with me. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say the exact same thing. Like, I, I, well, I started with red pants and now they're brown. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, it's a lot of fun, you know, but what we, um, so Chris, Chris knows he'll look at me um, and do this thing and as well as Elaine and, and they say fist up um, because, you know, you are fighting um, the you know, you never know what that car is going to do. Um, it could do something crazy when you're doing fire. It could do something crazy when you're doing burner pops. It could just shut off when you're sitting there, um, which has happened before. And then I come over the radio and say, I didn't turn it off. It turned itself off. Um, and, you know, so you have to keep your fists up and be, be ready for anything that might happen um, because you never know, you know, maybe something crazy happens with the car next to you, you know, you got to be ready to, uh, turn that car off because your, your number one defense is switches and levers. So, you know, pull your, your car, pull the, the lever back to turn the car off, deploy a parachute and pull for your reserve and turn your switches off, you know? So always keep your fists up, um, and stay focused on the finish line. How cliche, you know, but it's, it's, it's cause it's true. Yeah, I mean, I love. Yeah, you mentioned the pops, and it made me think. You mentioned fires and all that too. Do you guys? Are you guys? You got squibs on that thing, just like it would be if it was in an airframe. No, Um, we don't. So, so our cars are. (coughs) Excuse me, our cars are considered open cockpit cars, and the rules don't require us to have fire bottles on the on the cars. Um, We do carry CO two fire extinguishers in the crew trucks, and of course, the tracks have a safety crew as well. But uh, in, unless you have a clo- in, an enclosed cockpit car uh, or a, like something like a funny car, that type of thing, there's no fire bottles on the cars. Um, for us, you know, if we've and we've had fires before, and, and CO2 is a great way to put them out as long as it's not too windy or anything, you know. And that help that helps because if the cleanup is there's there's no cleanup, right? But right, um, yeah, no no fire bottles. The biggest thing for us is we, you know, we just want to get them. Uh, if something does go wrong, uh, we want to get them out of the car and get everything kind of back under control as quickly as we can. And um, probably the biggest culprit, uh, we had one 
situation in Iowa one, one time where we had a car that caught on fire. We had some wire, wiring that shorted out. And uh, uh, the afterburner, afterburner control valves stuck in the open position because the wi control wiring to those valves was uh, shorted out and it had power to them. Um, so as we were trying to spin up the car to get it started, or as we were spinning up the car to get it started, the afterburner uh, fuel was already was flowing and there was just fire just pouring out the tailpipe like crazy. And we could we couldn't figure you know figure out what was going on. So we thought, well, let's let's cool this thing off first of all. So we took the driver and we held the, you know, we reached into the driver's compartment. She didn't know what was going on. And and we just held the throttle back and continued to motor the engine. Well, in motoring the engine, we were just pumping more fuel into the afterburner. The fire got pretty big. And and I always tell people, you know, our crew and so on when when we're training them, if you're running around the starting, if you're running, that alerts the safety people to track and alerts the track people something's wrong, right? So I always tell them, keep yourselves calm, cool, and collected, um, and just move quickly to resolve problems, but don't panic because others panic, you know, when that happens. Well, so I'm sitting here watching this thing. The, the girl that was in that car uh, was one of our, was our very first uh, driver after, you know, with, uh, to come in with Elaine. And uh, so that car had, had, had had a fire. We pulled, uh, Elaine was in the opposite lane. She shot her car off. As you can tell from Josette's comments, we have radio communication between all of our cars, all of our crew. Uh, and so everybody was shut off and the track operator came up and said, Hey, we know that this one can't make go down the track, but can the other one still go down the track? And I said, yeah, absolutely. No problem. I said, we'll just get it restarted. And so he walked over and told Elaine's crew, she spin this thing up, you know, spin the thing up. Elaine's fired the car up. It's sitting there and I'm sitting here. We got fuel all over the starting line. We've got this truck that's still sitting out there. That's got to get out of the way. So Mr. Mr. Cool here, never run, never do anything fast. I jumped in our truck and pulled forward to, to, to get around the car. And I back, I literally backed a dually truck over the front of our car. Oh. And I thought, yeah, man, I, I, you know, I, I did everything I always told people not to do. Right. So, and it isn't that similar to aviation. It's so, it's so similar and the stuff that we do is so similar and, it, I feel like even though I've never driven one of these jet cars, I feel like I've been around it so much. It's, it's just like aviation. It's all good until it goes bad. And then it goes bad really, really fast. Yeah. When it goes yeah. bad, it, it's bad yep. quick. So, so after an incident like this, uh, or you have an incident or there's uh, something happens with the car, it shuts itself off. You have a fire X, Y, Z. Do you guys run your own like root cause corrective action type thing where you'll, pull data loggers and figure Absolutely. out what happened where and, and, and then methods of prevention and what to do to, to stop it from the next time. Absolutely. And a lot of times, you know, it's, it is similar to aviation where um, you're going to know right away. Is it a, is it a driver or pilot error? Um, and, or is it a maintenance issue? Is there some sort of design problem? It's the exact same thing. Right. And so I can tell you that, one thing that we're very cautious of is that we, that we, um, our team is so, what would this be unified? That's probably not the right word, but we're really good at working together and 
we, 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 it's pretty unusual that we would point the finger, start pointing the finger at someone else type of deal. We have a genuine interest in, in seeing uh, what that root cause analysis was, you know, and how to fix that problem so that it never happens again. Um, and we've had, we've had major situations, very, very major situations. Um, and it was, it was, ter- you know, terrible things have happened. And, and I think, um, you always look back to f- figure out how do we do this? How do we make sure this never happens again? And, you know, how many times in aviation have you seen, it's not always some complex, crazy situation. How many times have you seen where it's just the simplest thing? Oh that, yeah. That snowballed, uh, right? Daily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking our language, like the whole way through, like, yep, yep. Like if you could see my face, I'm like <laughs> nodding the entire time. Cause yeah, you're absolutely I'm doing right. The same thing. Absolutely. Yep. Right. And, and, and I love, you're answering a whole lot of uh, questions that I had earlier and where like, how does the aviation stuff apply to you now? And you just uh, hitting the mark every single time, like all this stuff prior really bakes into the racing and just like how much more uh, aware you are of things and how we can prevent things from happening. And, right and it's yep. the standards right it's well it's the like you said when things go bad they go bad fast so just applying the same yeah it's essentially uh these cars are essentially uh aircraft that aren't leaving the earth Absolutely. um yeah but but flying as fast as they would if they did <laughs> yes <laughs> <You know? laughs> there is so a lot, you know the, our business of jet racing whatever whatever that is right whatever larson motorsports is we we have race cars and we love to race. It's one it's one of the things <laughs> things that we do. But if you, if you really look at us and and arguably any other racing, right? We're in the entertainment industry. That's what we do. We and what we do is live enter, entertainment. Um, Josette, our business model. It's interesting in that it's almost like two separate businesses. One that happens locally here on Florida space coast. And the other one that happens out on the road, like, you know I mean? We're like Ringling brothers and Barnum and Bailey. We're like the carnival coming to town, you know, and, and the, the not so pretty side of aviation, the not so pretty side of, of, of racing. I can tell you, I've seen Josette looking at me and we, and I'm looking at her in the pouring rain. We're taking awnings down, trying to figure out how we're going to drive this thing out um to because to, to, it's like a tent can't throw it in the bag it'll be all mildewy and moldy you know we <laughs> we work we we work tirelessly <laughs> there is no normal <laughs> shift in racing of any kind it is um completely normal for us to drive for days for 12 seconds of track time two six second runs you know or crazy. or wow. like last november we drove a day and a half got 30 minutes from the racetrack and they called and said race is canceled no so we, oh my <laughs> we, we, we went to the we went to the uh, gas the first gas station we looked at each other like did they just say that for real and it was like yep and we it, turned around so we, we turned around and started driving home yeah wow. drove from florida to louisiana and exactly what Josette said, 30 minutes from the track, the track operator called. And, you know, we've driven fully, we've driven from Florida to Texas, fully knowing without any shadow of a doubt that we were going to rain out. And the track operator said, hey, you're my booked in show, man. If you guys don't come and we have this race, I'll never book you again. Okay, man, because if we leave, 
you know, we're coming. And, uh, um, you know, in our business, uh, you know, we still get paid a little bit if, if an event rains out, if we've made it to the track. Um, but it's certainly nothing like the, like when we get paid to make the runs down the track, you know, so it, it hurts. Right. And, and this is, these are the things that people don't see, but Josette sees them. She's how, how many years have you been with us now, Josette? Uh, I met you guys in 2017, but I got hired in 2019. So yeah. almost we're going on four years now. Yep. Yeah. She, and she, so she's seeing it and she's seeing what it's really like to drive all night. You know, when I, I, when I used to work at Cessna, when we first started jet racing, uh, my wife, Elaine would pull in at, at the end of the shift on Friday, I'd jump in the truck. I would, you know, she would drive, uh, and, until, you know, she got tired and I, I tra trade seats with her and, and I would drive and we'd drive a few States away and arrive sometime, you know, Saturday morning after driving through the night to set up its track and set up set up the awnings and trailer and get the car out and service it all that kind of thing blow the thing down the track for two two five or six seconds run on saturday night pack the thing all back up after the track is empty and the fans are gone and start driving back home and be at work you know um, in time for to go to work monday morning at eight and so and and that's you do it because you love it you certainly don't do it for the yeah. pay that, um, that totally reminds me of aog a aog maintenance days yeah that's what oh, i want to say cruising around in a van all night long fixing yep. like little L's man fixing fixing things in the night all, all trying to make that that schedule the next day and the yep. best AOG guys are the guys that can can get anything done regardless if they have the right tools or you know if they have the right equipment you'll just figure it out and that's that's what racing is too you just figure it out and so it, yep. the similarities are absolutely I'm I'm going to say it's almost exactly the same. It sounds very much the same. Yeah. Like, it's, I was about to say like this is the only thing that's different is like we said we said before was uh, the car doesn't take off, but it goes as fast as if it was going to, <laughs> or right. as yeah. it did. You know, that's the only jo difference I'm hearing. No, no. One, one of the, oh, one sorry, of the things, Josette. One, I'm sorry. One of the things that Josette does, part of her role is to create, uh, she's one of our videographers and she creates videos that tell a lot about what we do at Larson Motorsports. And a lot of those videos are entertainment, you know, for entertainment purposes. But if there are videos there that she's filmed with the students and, and of engine maintenance of, of, uh, uh, you know, it's real. It, this stuff is yeah. real. It's raw. It's it, it, the first cut is the cut you take, cut you do. Yeah. And um, how do they find out more about that? So you can go to our website, lmsjets.com, or you can go to our YouTube channel, um, Larson Motorsports, and you can watch all, all of our videos. Um, Chris actually does a lot of tech tips. Um, and yeah, we do that on card footage that I was talking about. We do a lot with that. Um, so you get to ride down the track with the cars. Um, we show you what we do on the road, what we do when we're driving at the hotels, um, what we do when we're setting up, tearing down. Um, and then what we do when we're not at the track too. So things at the shop, what our interns are working on, really, the, it's kind of like the behind the scenes at really anything you want to see. Um, so there's a, a lot of fun stuff. And then, you know, of course, tons of fire and all the that good stuff, too. So definitely mm -hmm. check out our Facebook and Instagram 
we have a TikTok um, for at LMS Jets. Nice. I love it. Uh, you did mention real fa- uh, mention about, uh, you kind of mentioned like a circus, like the Barnum and Bailey's. When you guys are on the track, you've done your show, you've done the pops, you've done the fire. Uh, have you ever had to deal with fans? Um, like uh, people who are just like infatuated with what you guys do. Have you, have you ever had to deal with something like that? I feel like every industry, um, every part of the entertainment industry is going to have, you know, their, their diehard fans, um, you know, so for the music industry, it's the people that are paying to be down in the pit and, you know, get us close to the, the people, the artists as they can, and, you know, go up on, do on stage or whatever they're trying to do. Definitely for us, every racetrack, you know, we have one or two fans that, you know, are messaging us saying, Hey, can't wait to come meet you. Can't wait to come see you. And they're guaranteed to show up, um, at that racetrack, um, every year. And, you know, it's a great experience. (laughs) Um, and you know, it's, it's good to have, have all these fans that show, um, their love, you know, for us. And, and it, and it's great to see them every year. Um, especially, uh, the, the kids, you know, they, it's, it's really like a big job for me because, you know, these girls and these little boys are, are looking at me thinking, you know, that could be me one day. I, I know for me, I, the first time, the first NHRA race I remember going to, um, there was a motorcycle racer, um, Angie, I can't remember her last name, but Angie. Um, and my dad said, you need to go, um, get her autograph. And I think I was like, under five and I was like I'm not going over there to get her autograph you know I said no um and my dad was like no no you're you need to go get her autograph and I and I wouldn't do it and I didn't do it um but but I still remember looking at her think it's just like she was a god you know like I wanted to go over there and talk to her and and say hi and things like that but you know I'm young and I didn't want to do it and I was scared so you know it, it's it's a big job to make these kids feel like they can come over to me and, and it's approachable. Cause I, I don't want them to be like I was, you know, if I see them kind of looking at me from a distance, I'm going to go over there and, you know, talk to them because, you know, I want them to know that, you know, they could be me one day and, you know, I'm not some God that, you know, I, I'm a person just like them. So, yeah. So yeah, you know, we have, we have a lot of great fans out there. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you're awesome. a hero to them, you know. That's that's yeah. pretty cool. Not yeah, a lot of people it, can say they're a hero. Yeah, yeah, and it, you know you got to live up to that, you know, because you don't want to let them down. So yep. it, it's it's a big job. Now, yeah. now as well, far it seems as like uh, you're doing pretty good at it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Now, now as far as uh, uh, Larson Motorsports, that uh, you mentioned uh, uh, ample amount of times, like we have a lot of interns and students that they're training to be the the next uh, STEM professionals. Uh, yep. What, what is that feeling like? You know, like you see them come in knowing fully well that they're going to leave soon, but then you, you know that when you let them re- release them or let them go or graduate them, so to say, that they're going to go off doing something that, you know, they're going to repeat and, and, um, reproduce what you have taught them. You know, what I mean? like that's going to be the next, uh, um, like satellite developer is going to be the first person on Mars or something like that. <laughs> How's that fulfillment be uh, like for you guys? 
I think probably one of the funnest things for me, we've had enough cycles now where we have people that came in as volunteers and interns that have made it into industry, and now they're coming back to be mentors for the students here. So it's full circle. And, and with that full circle, it, it's, it's a game changer because now they, they can perfectly relate. Just like Elaine just talked about that, that, that little girl that, that wants to come up and talk, or excuse me, Josette, just like Josette just talked about, uh, um, you know, it, it, that full circle is a game changer because they understand where these students are at. And, you know, the, the, it, it gives them a, it gives us a huge advantage, I, I guess. Does that make any sense? Yes, it does. Uh, so uh, what, for both of you and for the for both Larson and yourself and yourselves, uh, what's next uh, for twenty twenty three and beyond? Twenty twenty three is going to be a, a, a fun year for us because the university uh, is asking us to help. Uh, actually, asking asking us to grow our program. Um, probably from an aviation's perspective, we are literally weeks away uh, from putting an aerospace. Uh, welding training uh, scenario together in one of the university's facilities called their CAMID facility, their Center for Advanced Manufacturing and Innovative Design, which is literally just across the breezeway from our from our uh, our Larson uh, Motorsports facility. Um, for us, we're also transitioning some of our our brands. Um, uh, we we act, we have a couple other companies, Aerospace Technology Group that has uh, some drone activity. It has a couple other elements uh, within the aerospace industry at an offsite location at an airport. Um, And then we've just now started Larson Industries, probably where we're headed. Uh, I mean, I don't see us stopping jet racing anytime soon. Uh, uh, Josette certainly probably doesn't want us to (laughs) see that happen. But where we're headed is we're probably going to get involved with some uh, with some pretty advanced uh, research because of some of the resources that we have in-house, in addition to the resources that we have at Florida Tech and the university, some of those, uh, some of the things that are happening here on Florida Space Coast, um, we will help them leverage and in, in, in hopes that we can contribute not only to the local aerospace industry, but the aerospace industry as a whole. So, not that we're steering away from the racing by any means, but we're just growing our brands and growing in directions that we haven't really had the opportunity to, uh, to take advantage of before. That is awesome. That's awesome. It's exciting growth potential, you know? Yep. Yep. Uh, How about you? So with that growth and stuff, you know, uh, you'd mentioned the 4313 and all that. And you have your own racing governing bodies, which have rules you have to abide by. Are you, are you guys, uh, do you guys get spot checked by the FAA at all? I, I wouldn't see why, but just asking the question. Yeah. Uh, we don't get spot checked because we don't run to, within the FAA guidelines. Well, the racing doesn't. Now, the aer- aerospace technology group, that's all, that is all aerospace activity. So there's FAA there. But <coughs> for the, with the stuff that we've been talking about on this call, no, we're not spot checked by the FAA. Um, and we do a pretty good job, you know, Everything that we do is done to aerospace standards and practices. Now, I'm not saying that every jet racing team would do that, 
but um, you know, hot section inspections. One of the things that I think is interesting, you just briefly touched on it before. And one of the things that we do, we go from full throttle to cutoff all in one loop. So we shot cool the engines every single time uh, that they're run. And so even though we maintain and, and, and assemble the engines and the, and the equipment to FAA standards and so on, and within the aerospace standards and practices, a lot of the ways that we operate the cars and, and the engines are outside of those parameters, only not in a reckless way. Don't, I don't want to give you that impression, but um, uh, it's, you know, the engines are, you're not going to land a, an airplane and that, you know, and then go cut it off all, you know, all in one move. And even if you did on the approach, you're in a lower power setting, right? You're not, a, you're not at full throttle. So we've learned that there's additional inspections that we have to do that we stay on top of. And those are the things that um, uh, undoubtedly have helped contribute to our success. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is um, share our share our knowledge with the rest of the industry. Not that we, there, certainly we don't know everything. And, and we're just, we're just, we're, you know, we're good at what we do. Some days I wonder what the, you know, it, I wonder if we, even have our act together at all. Some days I feel like we couldn't punch our way out of a paper bag with some of the stuff we do. But, but I think that um, in most cases, we have a pretty good grip on it. We love to share that knowledge, especially since it's not a true open competition category, at least today it's not. And so if there's a way that we can help support others, uh, that's, that might be a direction that we're probably headed continuously, but have the ability to grow much more in 2023. That that yeah. sounds that sounds very alive with what we're trying, uh, what we do of our show. I mean, we don't know everything, but it's one of those like uh, we want to share our experiences so you know to make a right turn instead of left and and making the mistakes yourself. I mean, some you just can't help, but that is part of the learning process. But uh, for all the significant mistakes that could potentially be uh, road significant roadblocks, we don't want you to do, or at the very least, prevent a mishap. And. And uh, Josetta, you mentioned like this is going to be your second season racing. Is that correct? <laughs> yep. Yep. My second season in the House of Color um, Jet Dragster. Um, so for what's new for 2023, well, um, I have a different role with the company. Um, driving is only, you know, like five seconds of what I do. So uh, the, with all the other time, um, I have this development officer uh, role. So the, uh, the interns are a new part of that. Um, so I'm taking a bigger role with them. And, and so that's going to be fun. Um, again, we're going to have some learning curves there because I'm, I'm trying to like get my own little twist on it with them. So we're going to figure that out um, as well as, you know, keep watching our, our social media and things like that because the house of color team is going to be having some, some announcements coming out as well as Larson motorsports as a whole. Um, we have some big announcements coming up, um, here in the next couple months. So definitely, um, keep up with that because 2023 is, is looking pretty good already. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And, and if there, again, uh, this is us helping you guys out. Uh, if there's anything we can do to help, like help spread the word or like, uh, put some information out or, uh, whatever the case may be, like, if you need some help, we're more than happy to help. Um, that's just, like you mentioned, like we're here to share all of our experiences, uh, spread the wealth, so to say, as far as the knowledge is concerned, because 
the the worst part of it all is hoarding all that information to yourself. And MVP and I have said this numerous times, I think too many times that uh, hoarding the information just makes everything worse and creates a single point of failure. Yep. <laughs> and, and we've all seen uh, how that turns out, <laughs> but in one way, shape or form. <laughs> yeah. We, one of the things we would, we would love for, you know, people to watch us and follow us on social media. Um, I'm, I'm sure J- Josette, she's already plugged that a couple times. <laughs> and I promise you she'll do it again. But we want you to come see us at the racetrack as well. Um, our, our 2023 schedule is planned to be revealed uh, sometime shortly, uh, uh, probably in the next couple of weeks. And, um, and so you can, if you go to lmsjets.com, hit our schedule page, just come see if, you know, see if we're going to be at a racetrack somewhere near you. And uh, come in, and come and visit us. You know, every single drag race, every pass into the races is a pit pass. And so, not only do you get the experience of watching the cars go down the track, but you are right there. You know, we live at the ropes, and 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 nobody walks away from a Larson Motorsports pit area empty-handed. All the drivers are there. All the crew are there. They want to tell you about the cars. They want to. They love to talk, uh, talk to you, and answer your questions. And um, so for, for us, uh, that's, that's, you know, those are the things that we live by and we love the most. So if, if there's anybody that's listening, uh, please follow us on, you know, check out that schedule page on lmsjets.com and, and intercept us at a track that's uh, maybe somewhere near you. If you do somehow come in vacation or, or, or live in, in Florida, um, come and visit us. There's between five and 7,000 people a year that walk through our space. Josette is the ultimate tour guide, um, and we, but we have a lot of really great people there. It's a living, breathing shop, exactly what she said earlier. If you're there two months from the time that you, that you last visited, it's going to be different, you know, and, and, and you will see the real deal. There's nothing uh, that's changed for the tours, um, and you may be intercepting Zach back, putting the chassis together, or one of the people putting an, an engine together. We have uh, right now. There, some of the interns are CNC machining the wing ribs for some of our future cars. You just never know what you're going to run into. Carbon fiber, composite work, fiberglass, all kinds of stuff happening every single day. That is freaking awesome. I love every bit of it. Uh, what? What? One. La- I would like to ask one last thing. Uh, if someone lives in Florida or is in one of the colleges that's nearby. Um, how do they go about uh, becoming an intern uh, over at your element or Larson Motorsports? So I'll answer this question. Um, so unfortunately, we only accept Florida Tech interns, um, students at this time into our internship program um, because we have an affiliation and relationship with Florida Tech. Um, so we, if, you're a Florida Tech student um, and you live in Melbourne. We even sometimes on the business side, um, we can have a remote um, intern as well, just because it's easier for the business interns to do remote work. Whereas with engineering students, sometimes they need to be in person to either fabricate or to actually measure something if they're doing something um, within the Siemens software. Um, So definitely uh, Florida Tech students, they can go on Handshake. Um, and search for our um, job listings. Right now, we don't have um, a job listing, um, but 
if they are watching, I would say by April, we'll have, well, yeah, April, we'll have um, our positions opened up for fall 2023. Um, right now we're full. Um, we have 15 interns this semester. So this is one of the largest um, uh, student uh, classes that we have. So we're, we're super excited and, and we can't wait for them to start diving into their projects next week. Now I got a question that ties in with that. So bring, working with the interns and everything else, what is the skill um, or trade set or, or ability that you guys see most at uh, most needed right now? You know, is it welders? Is it uh, composite fab? Is it uh, sheet metal? Is it jet text? Is it, you know, what, what, what are you, what are you guys seeing as being in the most demand right now? Might give some listeners like, who are kind of on the fence, like, yeah, I'm interested in, in jet cars and aviation and all this, but I'm not really sure what all is there or what I'm interested in. And maybe it'll help kind of give them a, a, a jumping off point. Sure. The, you know, the thing that I think we, we try to strive for is to introduce those skilled trades and, and skill sets to the students. Like uh, Florida tech is a pretty heavy engineering focused school. Um, they do not have an A&P program, uh, so th what we're trying to do is uh, we're trying to bridge that gap, right? So it it's not necessarily any one particular thing, welding, composites. It's, I mean, at some point, it gets down to even nuts and bolts, right? And, and, and so it's the across-the-board knowledge base. Now, we are extremely heavy aerospace, and and. And there's not much that we're teaching. When you come to us, you're really going to learn as much about aerospace as you are race cars, by, uh, for sure. And so um, I think it's just general hands-on skill sets. There's absolutely nobody that walks through the door that we expect to be the best TIG welder or the best composites person. There's nobody that walks through the door that uh, is going to walk straight up to a, a jet engine and, and be able to, to, you know, take out a manual and tear it apart, put it back together and be the person that did the quickest hot section ever. If they are, they're probably not going to get the internship because our, we're, we're there to teach them. Right. So, mm -hmm. so, um, so it, I, I didn't really do a good job answering your question because it's, because my answer is so general but isn't isn't that really where we're at right now in, in this in this period in time? And, and when you see brand new this young generation uh, of technicians that are entering the workforce, um, I think it's just it, it's just a different time, and, and they learn differently, they process information differently. You know, hey, I I think I'm at 55 years old. The tool I had to learn the, the most was. Uh, was was the phone you know and how to how to effectively use these tools that, the, that these kids are growing up with today you know they're 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 sitting in class or they're sitting you know it, it's a church service sunday morning and they're doing their thing on their electronic device and how do we use the stuff that they have to effectively teach them the best you know so uh, yeah it's kind of modifying modifying your plan that to fit what like you said what the current time is yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we go every year to this uh, modeling and simulation trade show in Orlando called ITSEC and, and it's uh, heavy military based, but this is the most advanced training and simulation 
uh, systems anywhere in the world, right? People from all over the world come to this. And I'm looking at maintenance manuals where, uh, you know, these guys put on a pair of safety glasses and in the upper right-hand corner, they touch the bow of the glasses to scroll through the maintenance manual that's being projected on the lens of their glasses, right? I yeah. see technology <laughs> that, that blows me away. And, and, and so, uh, but I also, in, in learning about your show, I, I listened to one of your other podcasts talking about how when the, when the computers went down and all the young people said, uh, hey, you know, I guess, we're, I guess we're at a standstill. And somebody says, no, man, grow, walk back to the shelves and grab some paper and let's keep going, you know. And so though, the, there is that blend, right? There's that blend that we, that as the people that are in the industry, it's kind of our obligation to help the, this next generation of technicians um, understand that there's, we didn't get where we are today because there was a bunch of idiots to just happen to be lucky and throw some halfway decent airplanes together. It's also why Josette told you about that green Mamba jet car and in the, the original shockwave jet car. I'm a huge believer in protecting the legacy and the history of, of our category, but also, you know, Think you think about the these race cars that were built back in the fifties and sixties, all the aerospace technology that crossed into those cars straight out of aviation, not just hardware but engines and and systems design, uh, airplanes. They're 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 some of the highest performance vehicles anywhere in the world. And they always have been. It's one of the things I love about them the most. And so, um, even though. We've seen a lot of paradigm shifts lately with, with avionics and the ways that we troubleshoot things. You know, if your laptop battery, if your laptop computer dies and you can't plug it into the pedestal, you might have to fil still figure out how to get that airplane back in the air by morning when the flight crew shows up at 4 a.m., you know. So, so it's, it, those are the type of things that are really important to me, and it, and it is. It's respecting the people that came before you, it's, um, um, and it's really this transition into this new generation that learns and thinks differently. That, that's very well said. I mean, it's pretty much summarized our lives right there in, in just a few short words. And I, and I love it. Uh, every bit of it. Um, and Joe said, uh, uh, you've, um, you brought up a lot of great stuff too, especially with the interns and how you came about and like some of the learning curves with uh, both drag racing and now dipping into this semi or actually this aviation-esque uh, drags or world right here where it's blending two different worlds together. Uh, and then you also mentioned about uh, wanting to be that person where other people can aspire to be. Um, what would be something you would pass on to someone who's thinking about it, but has it's still kind of skittish or it's never been a thought in their head? Like, well, what's something you would want to pass on to everyone else listening? You know, just just go do it. You know, shoot your shot, you know, shoot for the stars. There's no dream too big or small. Um, you know, and that's what I I hope for all of our interns and for everyone, for my son. I hope that, you know, whatever that childhood dream is, go for it. You know, it that what's the worst that could happen? You try and you fail and you have to figure something else out. You know, with Chris and Elaine, I made sure that I kept putting my face in front of them so that 
they remembered my name and they at least knew who I was and and maybe they would think of me, you know, a little bit <laughs> if if a job came up or or something. Um, so, you know, the, walking through the door was the hardest part. But once I walked through the door, I knew, you know, I had gotten in and, you know, they could push me back out. But at least I walked through it and tried. You know, if you don't try, you'll never know. Very, very, well said. very well said. Yes. And once again, everybody, uh, if we haven't plugged it enough already, you can see their website at lmsjets.com. You can follow them on Instagram and Twitter at lmsjets. Uh, there's the YouTube channel as well, Larson Motorsports. Uh, a lot of the videos that they mentioned with the burner pops and the actual racing down the strips, the car cams and whatnot. A lot of uh, good ways to experience what Larson Motorsports is doing. And then if you're part of that area where they do let you in or you can tour it, please, by all means, give it a shot. Take a look at it. Learn some stuff. And all of all of it uh, is one to marry up these two different worlds and then bring on the next batch of professionals that are going to do some great things for us. Uh, in for the future I, I think i've said that already um mvp you got anything else uh you'd like any save rounds or alibis uh for our guests here or for the listeners uh i think there's i'm sure there's a slew of things i'll think of later but the one thing that pops in my head right now is that i didn't ask and i should have asked right at the very beginning what fuel are you guys running jet a jp4 jp8 yep so we so our normal fuel is standard jet a um, we have run uh, a number of combinations of biofuel, biofuel blends with Jet A. We, we, it, the university um, is always interested in sustainability projects, and we think that, you know we have this massive inventory, hundreds of jet engines, and so we we are a really great resource for them to do sustainability projects. We have uh, run down the track many times with biofuel blends uh, with great success. We had a net carbon emissions reduction a couple of years ago, over 70%. Holy and um, yeah, it was massive. And, and, and we actually built an entire um, test cell that's uh, fully instrumented and, and, and it had independent people, uh, you know, that were independent people, you know, so we couldn't rig the, rig the data and it had, uh, uh, calibrated test equipment. It, it was really cool. Um, and these engines, I always joke with people, but these old turbo jets, I always joke and say they'd burn bean burritos if you could ram them through the fuel lines. But, <laughs> but um, they, they, they would. Um, yeah. You know, they're just fantastic <laughs> engines to do research with. So that's one of the places that we're headed here in 23. Um, we do we have we do have a scenario that um, is is is. Uh, uh, a net zero carbon gas turbine thing that we're that we're playing with right now, where we may we, we will likely be burning hydrogen in the engines, and among other things uh, that would produce uh, you know net zero carbon emission goals and that type of type of situation. So, uh, but the, our our fuel our, our standard fuel is Jet A. Okay, well that's very interesting. I'm I'm super interested in seeing how the. Uh, um, Oh my gosh! Well, the drawing a blank here. That the the last one you the said hydrogen. the hydrogen. Jeez, he's crying Yeah, yeah. Don't get it'll, old. It'll. I'm sure there'll be a couple piles of ink and L and Hasteloid twenty ones that look look looked like blades at one time 
on the ground behind it, you know, but uh, <laughs> we'll figure it out. And, and that's, that's what that test sells. For, right. That's, right? All, that's when, a lot when of we're at the racetrack. It's a very controlled environment and we would never uh, do anything that was reckless or that would put anything at risk at the track. But uh, if you come by, maybe that's a good reason to come by the shop is to see one of these little things churning away and, and uh, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's eating the leftovers that have been in the refrigerator too long. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing in those bean burritos. That's it. Well, I'd have to say, you know, Six asked me my final thoughts. Uh, it's impressive the organization you guys have built and uh, the type of uh, quality of workers you guys have output with your internships. And, and the legacy is going to be long lasting um for you guys for sure well thank you guys for letting us be on the show it's been really fun we uh you know social media is a massive part of what we do and we love you know just being part of these shows and hopefully uh hopefully we can be back and give you an update sometime yeah Yeah, we'd love to have you back because i'm sure i'm going to think of about 10 questions when i'm laying in bed tonight staring at the ceiling going oh you dummy you didn't ask this (laughs) we'll bring them on write them down (laughs) (laughs) that's that's another big problem i think of stuff and then don't write it down i'll make sure i get my phone out and take notes (laughs) most definitely we're definitely looking forward to seeing uh, what sort of development and new concept designs and engineering capabilities uh uh, larson motorsports puts out uh, once again, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. We know of the time difference, so it must be uh, pretty weird for you guys to be up this li- or out this late. Well, not really, but um, <laughs> we definitely appreciate you coming on. And for all the listeners, once again, we've uh, please visit Larson Motorsports both on social media and if you're in the area, visit the sites. Uh, their racing schedule will be out soon, so definitely check them out. Uh, see what they got going on, what they have working with. And thank you again, everybody, for listening. And we will see you all again next time. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Thank you. We would like to take this time to thank our patrons for supporting our show and allowing us to make episodes, maintain our gear, and create merch for all of our listeners. With special thanks to Erica Lamont, Chris Hawkins, Eric Shaw, Dan Schubert, Ryan Frushauer, Kyle Keir, Mike Sherwood, Caleb Stockhill, and Jennifer Brofer. Thank you all so much for your support and patronage. If you like our show, please support us on Patreon. You'll receive awesome perks like access to our private Discord, discounts and early access to our merch, first glimpse of our comics and other projects, and so much more. You can further support us and show off your prowess as an aircraft specialist by visiting our shop at cancelformaintenance.com. If you like classy or rugged watches, visit our affiliate Rockwell Time at rockwelltime.com. Use the code CX, the number 4MX, to save 10% off your total order. If you have suggestions for the show or you'd like to be a guest on the show, send us a line on our contact us section at cancelformainness.com and we'll do what we can to get both your ideas and yourself on the show. Please support us on social media like Facebook at Cancel for Maintenance, Instagram at CANX for Maintenance Podcast, or Twitter at CXMX Podcast. Please check out our new comic series on the Tapas app. Like, share, subscribe, and comment on our comics. Let us know what you think. Thank you all so much for your support and listenership, and we will catch you all next time.